Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Last week, we started a series in the book of Jonah called Running Away. Um, by the way, is it hard for anybody else to get, like, the VeggieTales version of Jonah, like, out of your head? Um, Jonah was not a cucumber, uh, just so you know. <laughs> um, but we started this series in the book of Jonah last week called Running Away. And the idea is that we all try to run from God. We all have times in our lives, it doesn't matter if, if we've been a Christian for years Uh, If we're just exploring what faith is, we'll have this tendency in our soul that makes us want to run away from God. Um, We want to run away from his control over our lives. We want to run away from his will. Um, And we ultimately run away from his love. We run away from relationship with him. And this tendency to run is clearly shown here in this story of Jonah. Um, Jonah is really an ex- like an extreme story. It's it's a it's like a, a great movie with like not with not Veggie Tales, but like a, a good movie um, with lots of ups and, and downs and dramatic movements. And so I want to just kind of recap the story from last week and kind of bring us to this point uh, in chapter two where, uh, where where Jonah is saved. So here's the story to that point. So. God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, which we talked about last week. It was a dark and dangerous city. Um, the Assyrian Empire was a pretty brutal empire. Uh, that, you know, just it, the way that they tortured their enemies and stuff. And so God calls him to go to that city um, so that they might hear uh, the judgment that God is going to call on them, not so that they, not to rub it in, but so that they can be saved. And so Jonah doesn't like that idea, so instead he runs 3,500 miles in the opposite direction from Nineveh to this little port town called Tarshish, or he's trying to head there. He finds a ship heading there, and his goal is to really flee from God's presence. He wants to get away from any reminders of God, anything to do with God. He wants to run away from his calling as a prophet. Uh, he wants to run away from everything, um, I- everything to do with God, no temples, no nothing, just he gets to start over without God. At least that's what he thinks. And uh, so in he w- he's an envisioning this, this brand new life where he calls the shots. And you can imagine as he's running and maybe as he's standing on the ship, he experiences this moment of freedom. You know, maybe he feels the wind against his face. Um, you know, have you, have you guys ever been out on the sound, like in a boat and you just kind of, it's, we live in a great place to just get a visual of this. Um, I remember when the first time I was out on the sound in a small boat, my buddy invited me to go fishing with him on his boat and we were just ripping around all over the sound. And it's like being out there, you kind of get this sense of peace and freedom and like this calm, the wind kind of whipping against your face. I kind of had a perma smile the whole time, like, oh, this is so fun. Um, you know, it's like, it's like there's islands all around and eagles flying around. You can really just sit back and say, man, this is the life. You know, if I could just spend 24 hours a day on a boat in the sunshine, that would be the life. And I think Jonah has that moment where he's feeling free, you know, where he's feeling like, ah, oh, okay, this is, this is going to be good. I'm living my best life right now. 
and all of a sudden, God brings a storm. God brings this storm, and you can imagine how Jonah's mood changes <laughs> when he sees those clouds on the horizon, like, oh no, God is really coming for me. Like, God is coming for me. And you can see just maybe that sense of freedom just evaporate from Jonah. But instead of turning back to God, Jonah's like, I'm just going to ignore this. I'm going to go down into the ship and just fall asleep. I'm going to pretend like it's not happening. I'm just going to conk myself out. And that's what he does. And then Jonah's awakened by one of the sailors. And the sailor's shaking him awake, saying, like, what are you doing asleep? Can't you see that we're... We're uh, drowning out here. Get up and cry out to your God. And the ship's crew figures that they'll cast lots to see whose fault the storm is. It's kind of a superstitious thing. Um, But God allows those lots to fall to Jonah, and Jonah's exposed. And Jonah feels shame in that moment. And when the crew asks why Jonah is on the ship, he tells them, well, I'm I'm fleeing from God. I'm fleeing from the true God. And they freak out because they realize this is why we're experiencing this storm. And so they try to fight it, but it doesn't work. And so they know that the only way to calm the seas is to throw Jonah overboard. And that's what they end up doing. And the sea calms down and peace is restored. And what's cool about that is that even these guys who are, you know, you, you had like pagan gods and stuff like that, they end up giving their lives to God in this moment when they see his power. Meanwhile, we have Jonah, who's just out there on the open sea, and he's sinking slowly down to his death. And, you can th- and he thinks it's all over, but yet in that moment, as, he gets, as death gets closer and closer, he cries out to God. He cries out to God, and that's sort of what this chapter 2 is about. Jonah's recording his reaction to being saved by God. Because when, when he cried out, God answered him. And so I want to read chapter 2 together, and then we're going to talk about how this turning, you know, what this turning point looked like in the story. So let's start. This is Jonah 2, verse 1. It said, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look, uh, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and here's a pleasant thing. It vomited Jonah out on, upon the dry land. That's going to be fun right there. That's how God saves right there. Um, but this is the turning point in the story. This is when Jonah, who'd been fleeing in his rebellion, is actually saved, when he experiences salvation. 
you know, Jonah at this moment had given up all hope. He had resigned himself to die. He's like, okay, God's coming to just wipe me out. Like, he's done with me. I've made him mad for the last time. This is it. He's just going to come and wipe me out. But that's not what happens. Instead, God reaches in with this big fish and swallows him up and saves him. And crazy as the story is, it, also, it follows a pattern that happens in a lot of our stories. And I want to share that pattern today. Crazy, it's very similar to maybe how we came to, came to Christ. Because the truth is, we reach a turning point in our story when we cry out to God. Crying out is a significant part of all of our stories. When we realize that we need God and we cry out to him. It, it, it's usually a significant moment in all of our lives. When we cry out, we realize that we aren't the captain of our own ship. We can't control what happens to us. And so we cry out and we because we need a savior to rescue us. And so as we look at Jonah's turning point, we see three major movements um, within uh, this story. And I want to just look at these, and they sound really intense, and they are intense, um, but, but you probably have seen this pattern maybe even in your own life. So the three movements we see in Jonah's turning point are this. We see Jonah drowning. We see Jonah cry out in desperation. And then we see God's deliverance. We see drowning. We see desperation. And we see deliverance. It's really a picture of the gospel in that we, you at some point, were drowning without God. And then you cried out in desperation to him, and God delivered you from your affliction, from your sin, from yourself, and brought you into life. It's this beautiful picture of the gospel. And Jonah articulates this picture of the gospel. This is hundreds of and hundreds of years before Jesus ever comes on the scene. And what I love about that is there's this consistency in God's grace, that God is always reaching out to save his people, that God's always reaching out to redeem his people, that God's always looking to deliver his people. And there's something significant in this moment when Jonah actually cries out to God, when he recognizes that I need help. I can't do it on my own. I can't do life on my own. I have no resources in and of myself to save myself. I actually need God to intervene. And so I want to look at each, um, today we're going to look at th all three of these and kind of how they impact our story, how they, what they look like in the gospel. And so let's start with drowning. How does drowning connect in our story? How does drowning connect in the gospel? And this is, this is what Jonah's drowning um, look means basically with the with the gospel. The drowning is our reality apart from God. That our reality, if we are separated from God, in one sense we're drowning, because we can't handle life on our own. We we think we can. We have the moment of peace where we're you know sitting on the uh, or standing on the bow of the ship, and then all of a sudden that storm comes, and we realize how fragile we are. And Jonah is thrown overboard, and he finds himself alone. He's struggling in the open sea. And it's interesting that Jonah sees God's hand in it all. Like, he recognizes that it's God, that God's in control of everything. He's in control of the physical world. 
Uh, he's in control of the natural elements because, because he says, you know, he says, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Basically, your waves kept hitting me and spinning me out of control, like until I realized how helpless I was. He's saying, God, you wrecked me. You kept tossing me around in the storm until I cried out to you. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, like out in the, the open ocean. Um, I'm from Oregon, and uh, I lived about an hour from the coast growing up. And so every weekend, mo- a lot of weekends, me and my buddies in high school, we'd go down, we'd go boogie boarding on the Oregon coast. Um, I'd go with no wetsuit, by the way. <laughs> it was like 55-degree water. And I had about two hours of, of fun between like my body completely going numb and hypothermia. <laughs> there was like this two-hour window. And that was fun. Um, and then I went down to San Diego, and we went boogie boarding down there one time. And I just realized, man, this water is so much warmer. Like this is way better, way, way better. Um, but the waves were a lot bigger. And so when I paddled out, and, and kind of took my first wave, all of a sudden I felt like wa- I was in like a spin cycle in a washing machine or something, and I just didn't know which way was up. I had water up my nose. I was sort of like kicking and flailing all around, and, and for a few seconds there, I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to drown? You know, there's like that sense of panic that sets in um, because you know that like I, I can't control <laughs> this wave and, um, you know, you come up and you're like, okay, it's all good. It's fine. Um, but you can imagine Jonah in that moment as he gets wave after wave hitting him and he's just spinning around like helplessly um, that he just feels like out of control. And a lot of times we feel that way. We just, it's, we cry out when we realize that we're out of control, that, w- that we can't stop, that the waves won't stop. And sometimes in our lives, like the waves keep hitting and hitting and, uh, and, and part of God, part of the reason why God allows that is so that we will cry out, that we will recognize that without him, we don't stand a chance. And we talked about last week about this idea of self-rule, that without God, we opt for our own rule. We want to control our own lives. And, um, and, and basically, self-rule, we talked about last week, is a false freedom. It's like when Jonah's on the boat, and he's like, man, I, you know, I've got this. Life is going to be good. It wasn't good. Like, disaster was coming. And sometimes that's our sin and self-rule can create the illusion that everything's okay. It can create an illusion that we're fine. But really, it, it kind of blinds us from seeing our, our position before God, that we, we are helpless. We have no ability to save ourselves. And um, the reality is, is that the bottom can fall out of life quickly. Do you guys agree with that? Like, you never know when the bottom is just going to drop out of life. You never know when you'll get bad news about your friends or your family. You never know when you'll get bad news about your job or your health. And and, and the bottom can fall out really quickly. At one moment, we can be just... Uh, walking on the clouds, like everything's great, and then reality hits, and we realize, man, this is a bad situation. And it doesn't matter who we are; we all experience that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on just a couple uh, people um, because they're public figures, and you can do that, I guess. Um, but if you think about Jeff Bezos, right? He's the richest guy in the world. 
$134 billion is his net worth. Like, okay, I, I did the math, and it would take, if you made $100,000 a year, it would take you only 1.34 million years to make that much money, okay? Just to put it in perspective. Um, but, you know, because somebody uh, leaked photos with him, with his, his mistress, now he's looking at losing $67 billion, which I know he still has 67 more billion dollars, but, but you know, he's losing $67 billion, you know, on top of his family, um, you know, and, and maybe his reputation. Like, wealth doesn't save you from suffering. Like, we can't create any barrier from experiencing that kind of pain in our lives, no matter how hard we might try. Um, I'm into music, and one of the things you notice if you follow musicians, you follow bands, um, a lot of musicians don't know what to do with success. You know, their lives fall apart. Um, you know, there's a, there's a 90s song from my era, you know, that, that the, the question is, how can you afford this rock and roll lifestyle? It's a real question, you know? Um, if you think about all the all the rock stars that you know about or who are that have bottomed out, like a, a Washington example is Kurt Cobain, right? Like he was he was the you know invented a whole new wave of music, most popular band in the '90s, and yet he couldn't control his drug habit. You know he couldn't control his depression, and he ends up killing himself. Like he self-rule ended up being a disaster in his life, a tragedy. And but that's a that's a common storyline in that kind of uh, in, in, in the world, not just in music, but in the world. You know, we live in a world that's full of broke millionaires. We live in a world that's full of people who once achieved their dreams, but then it all came crashing down. You know, and, we, and, and just because we say we're a Christian, we're not immune from this. Like, we're not immune from self-rule either. We might, we might dress it up in, in religion or in Christian trappings, but all, a lot of times, if we're not actively pursuing God, uh, we, we resort back to our own self-rule. And, and one day, the veneer of Christianity will fall apart when we realize, like, man, I haven't been following God. Like, so we're, no one is immune um, from this curse of self-rule. Everything can crash in on you in a moment. And one thing we need to realize, too, is that we're not the only ones affected by that. Um, Tim Mackey said that when Jonah fled from God, he became like a relational wrecking ball. You know, if you think about all the relationships that Jonah destroyed in the wake of his own self-rule, like all the guys on the ship, they were just doing their jobs. And then all of a sudden, their lives are just thrown into chaos, right? They, they're, um, they're feeling the brunt of Jonah's rebellion. You know, their, their lives were in danger not for their own fault, but because Jonah decided that he was going to flee uh, from God. And so in the same way, our sin and self-rule can destroy our friendships, our families. Uh, it can destroy our careers. It can, it can cause damage to the church. Like if we're, not, um, if we're not honest with each other or if we say things about each other um, just out of our, our own like pride, it can cause uh, damage that we didn't expect. It can affect the way our ability to share Jesus with the outside world because of chaos within a church community. All these things to say, 
I don't know what drowning looks like in your life. I don't know the areas of your life where you're experiencing this kind of chaos, um, whether it's related to work or family or finances. I don't know, maybe you're carrying a burden that you aren't sure how much longer you can carry. But what I do know is that apart from God and apart from giving God those things, like we're all drowning. Like we're all drowning apart from God. We need a Savior to pull us up out of the depths of the sea. And so now let's go to the second part of this. The second part of this is, is we go from drowning to desperation. And the difference is this, is that desperation is our realization of our reality apart from God. Desperation comes in when we realize how much we need God. When we realize that we're drowning, then we reach out and, uh, and cry out to God. You know, sometimes we can go on for weeks and years just and, and think that things are great, and then one day you wake up and, and things are falling apart in your marriage or things are falling apart with your kids. You know, life catches up and you realize, God, I am desperate for you. I can't control what happens at, at this point in my family. I can't control what happens. God, I am desperate. And desperation comes when we realize that we need help. And all of us need help. No one is immune from, from needing um, God to save us. And Jonah says this in his prayer when he realizes his condition. He says that the waters closed in around me to take my life. Um, the weeds were wrapped around my head and at the roots of the mountain. So if you can imagine, Jonah's upside down at the bottom of the sea, and the seaweed has wrapped around his head. Like that's a pretty helpless situation, right? Uh, and so it's at that point, that point Jonah decides to cry out to God. You know, it's like when he's at the bottom of the sea, can't breathe, wrapped in seaweed. He's like, okay, all right, God, I give. I'll cry out. I'll cry out to you. Save me. You know, he says, God, save me from the depths. You know, save me from my helplessness. And that's his cry of, of, of desperation. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And that word distress can mean affliction or anxiety. You know, I cry out to you for my affliction. I cry out to you for my anxiety. You can feel, you can probably sense just the pain in his voice. If you've ever heard somebody cry out in pain, you know, there's sort of this helplessness and shock that comes over. And, and maybe that's what you hear in Jonah's story. And he says that he cries out from the belly of Sheol. I want to just talk about what Sheol is because I think people sometimes get confused um, but in Scripture, Sheol means the realm of the dead. That before Jesus, a lot of people think Sheol is this waiting place um, where, where the dead awaited judgment prior to Jesus. They awaited judgment whether it was, it was to hell or heaven. You know, it's just kind of they're waiting there without any power to change anything prior to Jesus. And Jonah sees himself, identifies himself in that place of helplessness. Like, I'm, I'm dead and I have no power to do anything about it. And the big picture of this, the gospel picture, is that the Bible says we're all dead apart from God. That we're all dead apart from God. Without God's help, we, we exist in like a Sheol-like state in, in our lives. That we're all spiritually dead and that we're unable to do anything about it. I want to look at Ephesians 2. This is how Paul explains it. 
he says that, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says we're dead without God, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and if we're dead, we're unable to do anything to save ourselves. And that's our state, uh, uh, that's our state without God intervening in our life. You know, we're just unable in any way, shape, or form to do anything to fix ourselves. And so when we talk about desperation and crying out, we cry out from that place. We recognize, we give up our pursuit of trying to fix ourselves. And we say, God, can you take this? God, can you fix what's broken? I can't, I can't fix it. I can't do it. It's like how I feel when I try to work on a car. Like, oh man, I can't, can you just... And my father-in-law, can you just take this? I can't do this. No, but we cry out from that point of helplessness. Like, I don't have any power in and of myself to fix, to fix my marriage, to fix anything. We don't have any power in and of ourselves. We need God to intervene in whatever that situation is in our lives. And the truth is, is that as Christians, we have to learn how to rely on the power of God for transformation. It's not a self-help process. It's not a, well, I'll read a book and I'll just get incrementally better at this. Um, what the gospel would say is, as much as we submit to God, that's as much transformation as we get, that we are transformed not just once, but day by day as we continue to seek God, that he transforms our hearts. And so that's why we need to keep pursuing him. We need to stay in a state of desperation. You know, when we lose that state of desperation, then we kind of slip back into running, running the show ourselves, doing things our own way, uh, setting the agenda for our lives. And what this would point, what the gospel would tell us to do is to stay desperate. Stay desperate for God. Stay desperate for him in your life. Don't slip back into self-rule. You know, when we think we're okay, uh, that's when the enemy, that's when the enemy gets at us the most, when we think we're fine. You know, that's when we're the most vulnerable. And so I want to get to this last part of Jonah's turning point, the good part, deliverance. And deliverance is this. Deliverance is God's intervention in our reality. It's when God intervenes. If you read the story of Jonah, the hero of the story of Jonah is God. God is the one who saves Jonah did cry out there as he was, like, wrapped, wrapped in weeds and completely desperate, like hopefully most of us would. Um, but God is the hero of the story. And that turning point is, is when Jonah cries out and agrees, I need you. God, I need you to save me. And what's cool is that God was already moving. He wasn't waiting. He knew, and he sends this fish. The fish was already on the way. And so let's look again at, at Jonah's prayer, because I purpose, purposefully left some parts out, because I didn't want to resolve anything. And so Jonah says this. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. He answers. He hears. Do you believe that this morning, that God answers and that God hears when we cry out? And in his grace, God rescues Jonah, and, and, and he rescues him 
by putting him in the belly of a fish, which is kind of a gross place to be, I would assume. Um, but, you know, he, he, it's this crazy picture. When he's out on the ship and, and the breeze is going and the, the eagles are in the air, he, he thinks he's free, he's physically free, but he's spiritually trapped. But then when he's confined in this fish belly, um, when he can do nothing, when he can't move a muscle, when he's completely dependent on God, that's when he writes this poem. I don't know how. Um, maybe he had a little room in there. Um, but that's when, that's, when he, he, that's when he gives this praise to God. Um, he's confined. He's physically confined, but he's spiritually free. And what's cool about that is that freedom happens at a soul level first. Is that fr- God in his freedom doesn't, doesn't necessarily change our circumstances um, right away, um, but he does change our soul. He does transform us so that we can have peace wherever we're confined. I think about how the church is just exploding in like third world nations where people are imprisoned and killed for their faith. And, and you got guys praising God. They're in prison, but they're more free than they've ever been. And that is this picture of freedom that we see. There's peace that comes at a soul level. And maybe you could look back on your story or, or see, like, when I, when I think of, of how this has impacted my story, I think of how God's deliverance is sort of progressive. Like, as you continue to walk with him, he continues to deliver you from things you might not even know that you struggled with, but he keeps on delivering you. And, and I've sort of seen that in my stories. I've been following God for years. You know, God, God delivered me from uh, lust. God delivered me from doubt. God delivered me from all these different things so that I could live for him. And God replaces it with mission. God delivered me from purposelessness so that I could have a purpose. God delivered me from... Um, feeling unworthy um, to feeling complete in him. Um, God delivers us from our religion. You know, if you grow up in church, it's easy to just try to look good spiritually. And God delivers you from having to look good. And then when you learn how to just rest in him and, and, and rest in the finished work of Christ, when, when it's not just something you know and being able to say the right things, but it's actually knowing for real that that God is, is in you and that he saved you. So wherever you're at this morning, you know, maybe you've seen that progression in your life, but we all have things that we need God to deliver us from. You know, we all have things in our life that, that we need God to deliver us from. So maybe think about today, what is that thing in my life? What do I need God to deliver me from? What is, what is me holding me under its control? What, 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 have I, what have I been doing and then all of a sudden I realize I cannot control this thing? Because we need to trust him, that we need to believe. Faith is believing that he can. Faith is believing that he can deliver us and faith is believing that our, our future can be different than our past. And sometimes we have trouble believing that. But we all need that hope of God's deliverance. Tim Keller said that, says that we are hope-shaped creatures and the way we live now is completely controlled by our future, what we believe about our future. And he gave this example. He said, I was reading a story some years ago about two men 
who were captured and thrown into a dungeon. And just before they went to prison, one man discovered that his wife and his children were dead. And the other learned that his wife and children were alive and waiting for him. In the first couple years of imprisonment, the first man just wasted away, curled up, and died. But the other man endured and stayed strong and walked out a free man ten years later. While they experienced the same present situation, they had their minds set on different futures. And it was the future that determined how they handled the present. Does that make sense? So it's like one had something to hope for, to live for, to, to, to strive for, and the other was lost in despair. And so we need to have God's deliverance be the hope of our hearts, that God has a future, that there are, is something good on the horizon for everyone who believes in Christ. And this is the, the thought I want to close with today, and this is ultimately the hope that we cling to. This is the, the gospel hope, is that God meets us in our grave, in our pit, in our dungeon, and he raises us into life. That's the gospel hope, that he meets us in our grave, and he raises us into life. In Jonah's poem, he says this. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And here's the turning point of the whole thing. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You brought up my life from the pit. That word pit is this fun-sounding word in Hebrew, shakath, and it means destruction or, or a dungeon. Like, God, you lifted me out of destruction. You lifted me out of a dungeon. And God brings us up out of our dungeon, out of our uh, grave and into life. We were the walking dead, and now we're alive in him. We're more alive than we ever have been when we follow him. You know, um, I want to go back to Ephesians 2 because it's so important to get that, is that um, the, the Bible talks about death not just being like, like e eternity apart from God, but it just means being separated from God. So at any point we're separated from God, we're spiritually dead. And so the point is that we don't need God to just live better. We need him to live at all. We need him to live, period. And so I want to look at uh, Ephesians 2 here because here is, here is the hope in all of this. Here is the, the deliverance for us this morning, the, the, the hope on the horizon. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's our hope, is that we have these the immeasurable riches of grace. If you think that you're unreachable by God, you're wrong. His riches of grace, it says, are immeasurable. Immeasurable. And he wants to pour that out on your life. Do you believe that this morning? Sometimes when we're stuck in the weeds, we get kind of tunnel vision and we lose this greater sight that God, you know, no matter what we've done or where we've been, he wants to pour out immeasurable grace on our lives. 
He wants us to take us from being the walking dead to being fully alive in him. And that's why Christ died for us. That's why Christ took this punishment, why he, he calls it the sign of Jonah, why he died and spent three days in the grave before God lifted him up. Because God wants to not just lift him up, he wants to lift us all up into life. And so this morning, I don't know what dungeon you're facing in your life, what despair is setting in, what, what it would cause you to cry out to God. But I do know wherever we at, we, we need to cry out to God for his transformation in our hearts. You know, whether your soul is far from him or whether your current situation is bleak, I believe that God can deliver us from both those things our situation, and our soul. And that he can pull us uh, from the depths into life. Jonah celebrates at the end of this, and he says that salvation belongs to our God. God has the corner on the market when it comes to saving us. And sometimes we don't recognize that. But let's recognize that this morning. If you're in a place where you feel far from him, would you cry out to him this morning? Uh, We're going to take communion here in just a little bit and just celebrate this God of salvation, Jesus, who who gives us life through his own death. But I want to encourage you to cry out to God, whether that's this morning or this week. I want to encourage you to make crying out to God your first response when you hit hard times. Instead of trying to fix it, just put your hands up, God. Put your hands up and say, I don't have this, God. Take it. Let's pray this morning. God, we recognize that you are the God of salvation, that salvation belongs only to you. And God, we believe this morning that you can save us, God, our our soul, you can save our soul and make us alive, and you can save our situation, God. Lord, you can put our feet on solid ground, God, when we believe in you. And I don't know the struggles in this room. I don't know the, the, the hardships. I don't know where those areas are needed for transformation, God, but I just pray that you would bring it this morning. Lord, for every heart, God, for every heart in this room, that they would feel your transformation that only your spirit can bring, God. Lord, may we be a demonstration of your power in our lives, God, and, and in this community and in our families, God. Would, would you do a transforming work in our hearts. God, we may be crying out, God, for, for uh, friends and family members, God. Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to, to cry out for them too, God. Lord, that we would get wrapped up in this mission that you want to save the world heart to heart, God. So, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this place. I pray that you would meet us in our week as we, as we go out, God, um, Lord, that, that it wouldn't just your spirit would not just be here once a week, but it would be an everyday reality, God, that your transformation would be an everyday reality in our lives, God, as we find our life in you. And it is a process, God, and we are desperate for you. In Jesus' name, amen.